Totally Football Show. Last day's 2018 and there's a lot to unpack as Foxes got hot and City Fox it up. We have a three-horse title race, one-horse presenter, Spurs enjoying midwinter sun, Andros Townsend, greatest divers, what happened when Italy tried Boxing Day and much more in this Totally Football Show in association with Paddy Bar. In the pod today, oh my, it's Raphael Honig's time. Hi, James. Also here, Carl Anker. Hello, everyone. And fresh off the stage at the Hackney Empire, where he's been performing alongside Widow Twanky, mm. Duncan Alexander. Goodwill to all men. Indeed, Duncan. What were you doing on stage at the Hackney Empire doing panto? Well, I just went along as, a, as an observer, but sat in row three on the edge of the aisle and got hauled up on stage. Uh, what indignities awaited you there? It's because they recognised you. Oh, I didn't think so, but um, I had to hit some people on the bum with a with an inflatable hammer and then climb into a washing machine. All right. Was it a good panto? It was a really good panto. Yeah, I recommend What's it. What's it called? It is uh, Aladdin. Oh. Ah. So, the classics. The classic. Uh, well, many thanks to you if you sent in a tweet for this morning's show, particularly if you're Adam Sharples, who says nothing personal about Carl, but if he starts verbally knocking one out over United beating Cardiff and Huddersfield, then I'll stop listening. We'll get onto that section later on. <laughs> uh, but so much to unpack, indeed, from this Christmas period. What has happened? Well... Liverpool have opened up a six-point lead at the top after beating Wolves in Newcastle. Spurs have climbed up to second after smashing in 11 goals past Everton and Bournemouth. City are down to third. Oh, no, they're not. After losing twice in five days at home to Palace and away to Leicester, the Foxes, who also got the better of Chelsea. What a Man United strangely jigging Carl. <laughs> Solskjaer has thrown the shackles off. Two wins out of two for the crack team of Solskjaer and Mike Phelan, who've put eight goals past Cardiff and Huddersfield. Ooh. Rafa, that brings us to the bottom. Back-to-back draws have seen Fulham swap places with David Wagner's not-so-terrifying Terriers. Fulham also recorded a clean sheet, as predicted in the Book of Revelations, towards the end. They meet at the weekend at the cottage. No, they do. My word, that all sounds very exciting. Midway through the season then, precisely midway through the season, it does look... Like we've got a genuine three-way title tussle. So quickly, while it lasts, who do we think is going to win this title and why? Rafa. Well, I didn't think Liverpool would find themselves in this, in this position halfway through the league. I thought that City would have a little bit too much and it might still turn out that way. But of course, with their amazing um, consistency, just dropping off that little bit has, has opened the door for Liverpool and um, they've taken advantage. But I, I think the next couple of games are really, really big for Liverpool. They have done a little bit of a, um easier fixture list going into the um, Champions League period again. Um, and they need to really come through that because I, I, I think City and Spurs, now you have to include them in the conversation, don't look as if they will drop too many more points. So we're in this strange space still where there are three teams, but they're all there, not because of each other's weakness, but because really the underlying strength is... Is quite amazing from all yeah. those three sides. Spurs still still have to go to both City and Liverpool. And it's a six-point lead, as you mentioned, with the next two games that's built up very quickly but could equally disappear pretty quickly. Arsenal and Man City next up for Klopp's side. 
Yeah, a lot of Liverpool fans were saying that they'd like to come out of the City game ahead of City, um, which if Liverpool don't lose to Arsenal, they will do, even if they do lose at City. So it gives them that buffer that's going to help them in the second half. I mean, looking at the history of the Premier League at the halfway point, um, the average lead um, of a team at this point is 3.9 points. But obviously there's been a few big ones. Obviously City last year were 13 points clear. Um, we had Chelsea in 05 or 06 with a massive lead and obviously the really famous one is Newcastle in 95-96 who were 10 points clear and still didn't win the league um, if you look at Liverpool they're kind of mid-range with 6 points the last time a team of 6 points clear was uh, Chelsea a few years ago under Conte um, who obviously then went on to, to win the league so 6 points at this stage should win you the title but mm. as Rafa said there's a you know, with three teams in such good form there's going to be twists and turns Ish I'm a bit reluctant to count Spurs in this yes they are second but Musa Sissoko, Premier League title challenger, doesn't quite sound right. There are a lot of uh, the underlying numbers for Tottenham's defence are particularly creaky. Um, Hugo Lloris, despite the, what the eye test may suggest, is more or less pulling off a very good uh, season to keep Spurs' Spurs's defence record the way it is. They've, yeah, they are overperforming considering all the muscular injuries all their players have. And they've, they have caught fire. Son particularly is going through a wonderful purple patch, but again, Son is going to be departing quite soon. Um, I think Spurs will fall away shortly, and then it will be a fight between... Why, why do you think Spurs will fall away? Just because they're overperforming? They, yes, their overperformance... For Spurs to stay in this tight race, they need to maintain their level of luck. Also, they need to improve a little bit, and they need Liverpool and Manchester City to have a wobble. Right. Um, I think City's wobble will end shortly. Okay, and I think Liverpool don't look capable of having these wobbles. Well, anymore. a lot of people are saying Liverpool are going to have a wobble at some point, but you could argue that the autumn was their wobble. You know, they had a spell where they weren't looking particularly good. They could have lost at Chelsea. They could have lost at home to City, but they came through that unbeaten. Yeah. So, yeah, Liverpool look unlikely to have a wobble, and City have the best coach in the world and unlimited money. So, unfortunately, I think Spurs. I don't want to say they're in a tight race because I don't want to. I don't want to garner conversation like, oh no they're bottling it again I think this is a two way race and I think of the two the the easy thing would be would be for me to say Liverpool are the favourites but I can't discount how much money Manchester City have yeah well they've they've spent a lot of that money and they've built an incredible squad and it turns out that it's in some way flawed it's it's gone down at Chelsea but then to Crystal Palace and Leicester now a lot of people talking about Fernandinho and his absence being the real motive for this, but he was there for the Chelsea game. He was also there, as uh, John Mainwaring, or Mannering uh, points out, for the Lyon defeat in the Champions League. So is it all because of the absence of their only defensive midfielder, or is there something else behind no, their slump? I think there are, there are more than... Um, there's more than one absence that's hurting them. I think it's the cumulative effect of De Bruyne not being there, of uh, David Silva not being there, uh, Fernandinho, and you could say of Aguero not being there in the last few weeks because he's not really been a factor and with Gabriel Jesus being very inconsistent in front of goal I think there is there is a problem with both sides uh, of the pitch it was interesting to look at their trans figures for shots on target and shots and it's basically been going down right from the start of the season where they started admittedly very very hot so this is not a recent problem uh, they have been getting progressively worse as the season has has continued. It's very difficult to explain, I think, for one particular reason. But if you see, for example, the way they defended the corner um, for the Paris goal, which seemed to be a, um, 
an organized way of doing it in two roles, but then they had no one on the box, which was really strange, I felt. And then, of course, you don't necessarily want Leroy Sané, the guy who's going to head the ball out. And then it conceded one of those goals where you think with a bit more organization, a bit maybe a bit more focus, it could have been easily been been avoided. So I think the Fernandinho sort of narrative is a tempting one, but I think we have to look a little bit deeper. Right. The, the, the Fernandinho is obviously a massive component in all of this. Is building this expensive side that's challenging on all fronts with, with only Fernandinho able to occupy that, is that the kind of football equivalent of making a Death Star with those thermal exhaust pipes? Yes. Yes, it is. It is. Okay. This is very much the thermal exhaust pipe. Um, it it was wonderful they bought Riyad Mahrez, and Riyad Mahrez is doing very, very well. With sixty million, they could have bought someone else, which makes the they Jorginho want, they want thing. Jorginho. Yeah, Jorginho yes. would, would then be the rogue one that got away, I guess. Right, nice, nicely done. <laughs> I mean, on the raw data side, Kudos. since Guardiola was at City, um, the City have got two point four points per game when Fernandinho plays, compared to one point eight when he hasn't. But like Rafa says, I think it's um, it's a much bigger issue than that. The, the amount of defensive actions Fernandinho has had to make as the season's gone on has massively increased. So it's definitely um, more of a fundamental issue, I think. Um, and you wonder how much Guardiola has relied in previous seasons on a winter break to kind of sit back and reassess. And he doesn't have that in England. Um, and uh, eight of his 11 defeats in the Premier League have come in December or January. All right, OK. Because he didn't have one last year, did he? No, not sure how that influences you. They lost in January. They lost in January, and they they also should have lost against Crystal Palace, if not for that last-minute penalty save. You're mentioning Palace. Can we have a quick word for Andros Townsend? Ross Turner saying, how about listing more purely hit volleys than Andros Townsend against City? There are more famous ones. Van Basten, obviously, in the 88 European Cup final. Oh, sorry, European Championship final. But that was an extraordinary... If you can watch the goal hit. 20 times and still enjoy it as much on the 20th showing, then it's good. I think the only Premier League goal I can think of hit harder and sweeter is probably Rooney against Newcastle at Old Trafford. Mm. It was a fantastic goal. I quite enjoyed I, I mentioned this at the uh, before the season started about how Andros Townsend's uh, hair transplant that kicked in. So last season he had the beginning of his transplant and now he's got a full head of hair. And I went, oh, he's going to have a good season. He's, he's, he's going to be confident going into the next round. And lo and behold, now the store brand Iron Robin is truly the store brand Iron Robin. Wow, that's exceptional, isn't it? Anyway, we were saying about the uh, the title race. So you're saying no Spurs, and pretty much everyone's saying Liverpool at this right at this point. Is that right? I'll say City just to be contrarian. Good for you, Carl. Well, Spurs are up to second, of course. They've had five Premier League wins in a row. They've scored eleven goals in two games. They couldn't, could they? Well, earlier. Producer Ben put that and other questions too. Kayvan Mogadassi from the Oh When the Spurs podcast. Kayvan, not so long ago, it seemed like you were in a real slump. So what's behind your recent upturn? Uh, I'm not convinced we were in a slump as such. I think we started the season off getting results somehow whilst not actually playing that well. I think that combined with, you know, the delay getting into the new stadium didn't create the best kind of vibe around the team and, and, and the supporters. So when we lost a couple of games on the trot, it felt pretty bad. But with players like Lamella, who's been out with injuries for ages, coming back, also Harry Winks, um, and also having that extra player in 
Lucas in the team now to allow us to rotate. I think that the whole team has, has kind of just clicked into gear as we often do around this sort of time going into the Christmas run. Um, and, and, you know, we're suddenly coming into form just at the right time, except we've also picked up results prior to that happening as well. So, yeah, it's really looking up for us. And, and I think it's down to a lot of different things, but primarily, you know, the manager Pochettino and the way that he's managing the team and the atmosphere that he's managed to create. Are you in this title race, Kayvon? I mean, we're up there. All you can do is try and keep pace with whoever's leading. Um, City are having a bit of a blip at the moment. Liverpool will probably have one at some point in the season, you would hope. Uh, why not? You know, it's possible. We, we've still got a lot of home games coming up. If we do get moved into that new stadium and get some momentum, we get the atmosphere back. Uh, I think it's entirely possible. You know, um, squad depth might be an issue if we get a few more injuries. I think that's what will knock us back if if we are still in it later in the season. But fingers crossed we can keep everybody fit and, and we might still be in the running. You were the only team in the Premier League, of course, who made no additions to the squad over the summer. So what happens in January when the window opens again? It seems like it's kind of now or never for you. Yeah, the dreaded January transfer window. I wouldn't say that it's now or never for us or that, or that you know, our performance for the rest of the season really hinges on making signings in January. You know, we went through the summer without making any signings and at the time people said that we were going to drop out of the top four because we hadn't, you know, bought and, and spent as much as the teams around us. But Pochettino, he, he coaches players, he improves them, he adapts and, and he manages to do something with what he's got. They say there's not a whole lot of value in January anyway. I think we will move for the right player, as Poch has said in the past, if, uh, if the right player comes up and the price is right and the circumstances are right. But the bigger problem we're facing uh, in terms of signing players is that we're actually quite short of ones that are classed as homegrown, um, specifically for, for the Champions League, where Dyer and Davies, they don't even fall into that quota and regarded as foreign players. Um, we couldn't get Juan Foyth in the Champions League squad as a result this season. So for that reason, I would expect as if anything to move for British homegrown talent if the opportunity arises, perhaps going back for Jack Grealish or maybe looking at youngsters um, personally, I'd love us to go for someone like Loftus Cheek or maybe even Ben Chilwell, as we could really look at strengthening in central midfield or, or, or at fullback position as well. What might make signings from abroad happen would be getting rid of some of the older or fringe members of the squad that are not homegrown. You know, we've got Janssen, Wanyama, Dembele, Llorente, and Kudu. They all fall into that category, but with three of them currently injured, I wouldn't hold out too much hope of them departing in the January transfer window. And whether you win it or not, finally, is this is this the best Spurs team you've ever seen? It's certainly the best Spurs team I've ever seen. You know, I've I've been a season ticket holder for about 12, 13 years now. And, 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 you know, even though we had that amazing era with, you know, Van der Vaart, Modric and Bale and everything, um, I think in terms of a team, like a cohesive unit, it's certainly the best Spurs team I've, I've seen live, you know, and in my lifetime. Um, just hope we can keep them together and, and they keep developing as a team. And I'm sure we will eventually win something, maybe this season, even if we're lucky. You're listening to The Totally Football Show in association with Paddy Power. Kayvan Mogadassi, and you can hear more of that kind of thing on the Oh When The Spurs podcast. 
Liverpool then, are they going to have a wobble? Duncan, can you put into statistical terms what they've achieved so far? Well, they are the got the best ever defence at this stage of a top flight season. Only Chelsea in uh, 2008-09 had an equal defence conceding of seven Of a Premier goals. League season or of a top any flight? Any top flight season. Although obviously in that season Chelsea didn't win the title. So maybe some sort of mysterious omen there. Liverpool's record of 1-16 drawn three is the first time that's happened since Preston in the first ever season as well. So it's quite a nice little quirk. The historical numbers would say they're going to win the league, but right. you know, if we think how tight it is, Liverpool won away at Spurs this season. Um, if that had been the other way round, Spurs and Liverpool would now be level on points. It's not actually that tight, though. I mean, they've got a six-point lead. Uh, Rafa, as Jurgen Klopp's biographer, what do you think? I was just going to ask Duncan a question. Sorry, please James. do. Um, they have conceded only five goals from open play, but they could have easily conceded double the amount if some of the stats are concerned. So that either they're doing something that beats the system, i.e. they're getting players yeah. in between the shot taker and the goal, which is something Burnley did regularly last year. That's how they kind of upset the XG odds. Or they're just getting lucky a little bit. What is it? I think probably a, a bit of both. I mean, you could double the number of goals Liverpool have let in the season and they'd still have the best defence in the Premier League, which is... That is true. Which Sorry, is, say that again. You could double the number of goals. So seven times two, I'm informed, is 14. Um, and that's that would still be the best defence in the league. That's so. remarkable. It, it, a lot of it is tied up on Alisson. And it, it shows the strength of... Klopp's choices in the transfer market. He went, the defence needs strengthening, let me go and buy Virgil van Dijk, who has... We, yeah, and yesterday marked a year since they announced that van Dijk was coming, and you know, I think they're playing Arsenal next, and Wenger had the chance once to sign van Dijk, and the, the chief scout at Arsenal said that he was too nonchalant, um, so they didn't do it. Now, my, th- my, my understanding that it is that he's quite good. Um, he's played in 19 clean sheets in his 33 Premier League games since yeah. he joined Liverpool, and I think you know, him and Alisson really are the, the big difference. Okay. Um, one, of, one of the things that I think people say about City compared to the other two, if we can include Spurs in this conversation, is that if things go wrong for them, it all falls apart. Whereas certainly Liverpool and arguably Spurs as well have the ability to grind out results. They have other ways of coming up with a, a, with a win, even when things aren't working for them. Yes, but as far as Liverpool is concerned, that is a relatively recent phenomenon. We used Mm. to talk of them as a team that had to play at 100 miles an hour, had to be 100%, had to press all the time, had to really be up for the game because otherwise they would struggle to A, have the intensity when it comes to defending, but also the intensity up front that they need. But this time, even though the stats would suggest that they're still just as good when it comes to forcing errors and, and pressing, I think the fact that they are so solid at the back makes it a little bit easier for the whole team to sort of to pick their moments. Uh, they don't have to defend quite as manically because they know that these one-to-ones will be won most of the time when it comes to high balls or when it comes to very quick balls through the press. And you feel that it gives perhaps the, the midfield and the strikers a bit more confidence knowing that we will get another chance. We don't have to worry that if we don't take our chance here, we will concede or have to chase the game. I mean, Liverpool have been, Duncan will notice better than me, but sort of the feeling is that Liverpool in the early Klopp years had been chasing a lot of games. And that is obviously sort of toxic for their game. They're much happier if they can keep a clean sheet and then wait for the opposition to open up a little bit and press the issue and then take the lead. And once they have taken the lead, then they're very, very difficult to uh, reel back in because of how they play. So those two things kind of enhance each other, I think. 
it's a lot easier to win a game of football when you know you don't have to score three goals at the minimum. And I think that that is the benefit of having Allison, who is having a fantastic season. Um, that is largely why there's a discrepancy in goals conceded in their XG and Van Dijk. Um, with City, I think the interesting thing there is when they concede one, they tend to freak out because City City system of possession football of the press means the defenders are priority are you good and comfortable with the ball and then can you do the nasty dark art stuff second so there is this oh instinct of hang on we're we're not normally the team who's under the cosh mm. so when they are it, it's i don't want to say they're flaky i don't want to say it, say it Carl. they're a bit flaky <laughs> They're not. They're, they're they're not used to it. They're, What's going to happen then this weekend? Are they going to lose a third game in a row when they visit uh, the extraordinary Ralph Hasenhutl's at uh, Southampton, who coming off a defeat must be said. Are they yeah. visiting? Or they're visiting. Yeah, I mean, this is not a good team to play. No, if you're struggling to have your usual um, calmness on the ball and your possession game, and you come up against a hard-pressing side, that's probably the last thing they would want at this point. I, I don't want to call Southampton a hard-pressing side yet, because Charlie Austin is not to. a player who's hard-pressing, and uh, Romeo is not mobile enough. Um, they're going to lose against Liverpool on the 3rd of January, and it's going to be very fun to watch. That's going to be at Man City? Yeah. Yeah, and they're going to lose there? They're going to lose there. Why are you so confident about that, Carl? It's just narrative. Okay. It's going to happen. I mean, just going back to Liverpool briefly... Um, as Rafa said, they they know there's other ways to win now. If you take just set piece goals this year, yeah, um, for and against Liverpool are on plus eleven, Spurs are on plus eight, and no other teams on plus more than plus three. So Liverpool are you know two of their goals against Newcastle from corners. Um, They've got a long throw specialist. Yeah, I mean they they found many many ways to win football matches, and lo and behold, they're top of the league. Well, Spurs take on Wolves this weekend. Liverpool. Host Arsenal City, as I mentioned, are at Southampton. Liverpool Arsenal, Rafa. I think it's a good game for Liverpool. Um, Arsenal have been um, have been exciting to watch. Uh, they have improved in terms of their application. They have scored goals. They have gotten good results. But there is a um, a bit of a weakness that we've seen throughout the season, and sometimes it's just been more sort of advanced, or um, shall I say? more noticeable than others because of the quality of the of, of the opposition. If you remember the very first couple of games against Chelsea, against Manchester City, very exciting, but very, very open. And that openness, I think, is still a problem that they can't really defend as a unit very effectively. And then they're reliant on centre-backs who I think individually are all good, but not outstanding mm. to do the job themselves without the support of the whole team and that, that's been the issue so they can win every single game including against Liverpool but because they're quite open sort of in the middle of the pitch and, and rely a lot on outscoring the opposition effectively I think Liverpool will relish playing against them what, does Arsenal's recent record at Anfield bear reading? This is just noise, James. <laughs> it's, is, they've lost yeah, their last five. They conceded. How many conceded? Goes a lot. A lot. There That's you go, the official number. I mean, I think, as we said earlier... You, no, can I just ask, do you think there's absolutely no significance in any previous results? Just out of interest? It's not what I think. It's yeah. just looking at the stats, and there is absolutely no significance in previous results. Oh, there is. There is the psychological impact of going to a stadium where you know you can't win is... Yeah, but that's not measurable. Yeah, but, but, but there it, is. There is, but it's not measurable. But it's, it's fine. 
Okay. Just because you can't measure it doesn't mean it I think if you've got some of the same players, possibly, but if you go and, yeah, they haven't won there since 1962, but they've played once, then <laughs> yeah. you're on shaky what? ground. But, but yeah, no, I mean, we talked earlier about Klopp using the press sparingly this season, yeah. but I think the first half against Arsenal is the time to unleash it. Um, and this game's quite reminiscent of, do you remember the 2013-14 season when Liverpool played Arsenal Anfield and were 4-0 up after 20 minutes? Yeah, Arsenal were actually top that day, which people forget. It was the start of Liverpool's kind of late charge for the title which didn't quite come off but I think yeah I could see Liverpool being two or three up early doors in this game oh wow quick word on Spurs and their clash with Wolves um, Son this is one of his last three games before he hits off to the Asian Cup as you mentioned Carl yes yes. so we did have a question here um, Smudger says how much impact could the African combinations have on the Premier League this season I've got to tell you not much because they moved it to the summer which is brilliant but the Asian Cup which has been quietly rolling towards this without too much fanfare is going to see a bunch of players disappear off but Sun the highest profile absentee he, he's managed to negotiate a late exit yes so he should miss the group stage matches and then join for the knockouts I believe how much does that impact Spurs given the form he's in I think he'd be sorely missed because the pace that he brings I think is absolutely unique in this team this is a team that relies on a lot of passing and on being in good positions. But with him, you can actually play counter-attacking football. You can just send him into the channels. I mean, Lucas Moura is, is pretty fast, but he's not that type of player. He's not that direct. He, I see him more as a link player. And he, he frightens, I think, frightens defences oh. when he runs at them, especially when the game sort of breaks up after the 60th, 70th minute. I think you'd rather have Son on the pitch than Moura this or Lamela. And I think that's where Spurs have really come into their own in the last few weeks. It's because of his really quite amazing performance levels. It's something that um, certainly Leverkusen, when they sell them and they're kind of celebrating for almost selling him for a lot of money at the time, I think it was 20 million euros, didn't quite realise or maybe didn't think that there'd be a potch factor that brings out so much of this guy. All right. Um, very briefly then, uh, Carl says Spurs are not going to be in the title race. Duncan? I think they will. Rafa? They're in it now. I don't know. I can't predict the future. <laughs> I don't, I don't yeah, know what you want from fun. me. A lot of fun. Great. Uh, let's turn our thoughts to, hey, Man United after this. Ah, Christmas. The time of generosity. Great food, terrible television, even worse jumpers, and a packed Premier League fixture list. And nobody does generosity at Christmas like Paddy Power. We're giving money back as a free bet on at least one game in every round of fixtures. Nobody's going to be paying out as much this Christmas. Except maybe Man United. You'd be a turkey to bet anywhere else. Paddy Power. Enough of that nonsense. Applies to first bet on all losing. Goal scorer, correct score and what odds Paddy bets on the match. Max refund £10. T's and C's apply. 18 plus. BeGambleAware.org. On Spotify, smart speaker and podcast platforms everywhere, this is the Totally Football Show from Muddy Knees Media. Rafa's had another think, everybody. Yeah. No, I just want to add something on that slightly. Okay. I think that Spurs, because of their consistency, because Poch keeps doing this Poch thing where he just somehow quietly finishes in the top three and it looks as if he do it again, has kind of blinded us to... It's not a miracle, but it is an outstanding set of results considering that he goes into that top six race in inverted commas as the outsider every single time but doesn't make it look like it and when people talk about Spurs need a cup or they need something tangible I mean what he does here is much more impressive 
than winning a cup and is much more vi- um, valuable for Spurs than winning the cup because an FA Cup, for example, gives you about £6 million in revenue, prize money. Last year in the Champions League, getting into the last 16, Spurs got €61 million Euros from UEFA. That doesn't, ex- doesn't include bonuses from sponsors, doesn't include um, ticket fee, ticket revenue, etc. So, and this year there's a 50% jump in revenue when it comes to the Champions League. So Money getting, they would have used to finance their summer spending spree, of course. Right, and no, yeah, but the, 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 the real point is they are able to compete and they're able to keep these kind of players that they have now with new contracts, not because these players have won League Cups and FA Cups and think, oh, this is a platform for us, now we can go win. No, they're there because they're paying now a lot more money than they otherwise could have afforded thanks to Poch finishing top three every single time. That is the real value of him to to Spurs as a, as a coach and I think it's really important that people understand that. The other factor we haven't factored in um, is if Spurs do move to the new stadium in February or March whenever it's going to be will that help them or will it hinder them? Could be either or neither but I mean they will have access to a cheese room so that Should we ask Rafa to predict what he thinks? <laughs> <laughs> well I, I don't have the stats but um, my hunch is that new stadiums have a beneficial effect on most teams don't they? I had a look once and it did vary a bit right? but yeah I think if, I don't think you any talk teams, about the unmeasurable. No team's ever ever done it mid-season, yeah. so we are yeah, heading into a new a new paradigm. Wow, it would be quite exciting. Uh, while Uva, unlikely, right? it worked for Juve. Yes, uh, but that did was they moved mid-season. No, no, I'm no. just saying the new stadium. Oh yeah, 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 yeah. It did. The the argument the is uh, not so much for Arsenal. If you are mid to move to a new stadium, you have yeah. to learn basically all the new directions. Just. Where is the centre circle compared yeah. to where it is previously? Where do I have to wait for the ball to bounce compared to no, no, previously? No, no, for sure. The, whole... um, the pitch actually moved? No, but there are... there They've are playing at Wembley. No, no, but the old White Hart Lane pitch itself. Yeah, geographically, it's it probably about 90 yards north, I would say. Yeah, it's okay. moved a bit. So and they will those, find those it. They will find it. They will forget when Bournemouth rotated their pitch. Uh, by 90 degrees, they went from League 2 to the Premier League. These so. things matter. Wow. Is that a sort of feng shui effect, do you think? I think so. <laughs> the Eddie Howe feng shui philosophy. That's top knowledge. All right, well, we were going to talk about Man United next, but you know what? The biggest surprises of all, I'm going to say, are Leicester. When we left things, Claude Puel was on the brink again. He'd left the dressing room somewhere and now couldn't find it. Uh, but then, 22nd of December, they beat Chelsea... 26th of December, they beat Man City. What happened? Let's tell up our man in the know. Jonathan Northcroft from the Sunday Times. Happy Christmas, James. How are you? I'm very well, thanks. Um, I rang to ask about Leicester. Not just back-to-back wins, but back-to-back wins against Chelsea and City. Where did this come from? That's extraordinary. I'm not sure what the the answer is to that, because I saw Leicester in the Carabao Cup game just before the run um, and it was a pretty pretty sort of miserable night uh, discontented fans a uh, bit of a flat performance um, maybe the only answer is, is Hamza, Hamza Chowdhury um, he, he on, on that night he just gave the gave the team a little bit of a, an injection of, of bite I guess he, he had had everybody sort of excited, local boy flying into tackles. And I don't know, maybe he's he's been a little bit of a catalyst. Um, and perhaps it's it's just 
sticking with sticking with Claude Puel and 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 what he's what he's trying to do, which has been difficult for the fans at, at times. But I think he is um, trying to evolve Leicester. And in the last couple of games, you've maybe seen a bit more of a sort of structured counter-attacking game um, using uh, using the strengths of the likes of Vardy and Madison and um, and that's that's probably it but maybe it's just one of those one of those sort of freak things do you think that these the stories of him falling out with the team but and particularly Jamie Vardy were overstated I do I mean I, I was a bit skeptical about those stories because they they came from a particular place ie uh, Jamie Vardy I'm pretty sure um, his his comments about the style of play and and you know the kind of influence he's got um and I'm not sure that's reflected by uh, everyone in the squad. I think they, they touched upon something that the, the fans feel, which is, you know, the, there's a bit of an identity crisis for Leicester at the moment. Um, you know, Puel's trying to move them away from what they were like in 2015-16 in and probably going back into the Martin O'Neill era as well, the, the sort of more direct style of play, which, which the fans have been reared on. So every time someone like Vardy um, is unhappy or there's a talk about a style of play, it kind of presses a particular button, and I think too much gets made of it. I, I, I didn't see those stories as as re, him really being about to lose his job. They're a bit of a flag, but not not you know I didn't take them that seriously. Um, and and I guess what, where we are is back to um, a kind of well, it, it, it's an entente really because I, I, I still think there's this identity problem that that can he take. The, the club and the team to where he wants to go or will this be met with resistance by the likes of Vardy and others but you know these two results certainly put that on the back burner for a while Yeah, good chance to make it three on the bounce this weekend as they host Cardiff but from the sound of it you don't think it'll be that long probably before they lurch back into crisis? Well, yeah, I mean as I say I'm, I'm not sure if it's if it's a, a real crisis or confected crisis but I'm, I don't think it'll be too long before we're back in the in the place of discussing where Leicester are going, how they should be playing, what's happening with Jamie Vardy, all those things, because as I say, there's a there's a bit of an opposition between what Puel sees, what his vision is, and the Leicester traditions as as they were, or what Leicester have been in the last couple of years. Per- personally, I, I think this is a guy worth sticking with because if you look at his his record, where he's always excelled, it's been with with young players, you know, first of all in France, and 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 we're starting to do that work at Southampton and. What Leicester have done in the last 18 months has collected some really good young players. Pereira brought Chowdhury through, signed Madison, developing the likes of Gray and Ndidi, who are really young. Chilwell, this is where Leicester have to go in the future. And I think Puel's the person to take them there. But there is this problem, and it's going to probably not go away, given that Jamie Vardy's in his 30s, given that you know Wes Morgan will need to be phased out at some point. It's going to be It's going to be tricky. But if, if people can stick with him and allow him to navigate this this sort of change, this evolution of, of play, then I think it'll be I think something really good will come out at the end of it. Listeners, there's nothing going on at the moment apart from food, booze, more food, and of course football. So why not spend this downtime widening your worldview by trying out The Economist? The Economist is about far more than just economics and finance. For 170 years, it's been covering a range of subjects from politics and business to science, technology, arts and even sport. Because you listen to The Totally Football Show, you can get yourself a free copy of The Economist right now by texting the word football to 78070. 
You'll find articles in The Economist archive about why, even with the likes of Jadon Sancho and Kylian Mbappe doing their thing, fewer and fewer wonder kids are actually breaking through. Just 17% of the players who've made it onto the long list for the Ballon d'Or over the past five years were younger than 24, and that's down 32% between 2004 and 2008. Anyway, it's nuggets like that that help economist readers prepare for what's going on in the world around them, a world in which facts count even more than ever. The Economist is the smart guide to the forces changing your world. Get your free print copy now. Just text the word football to 78070. Hamza Chowdhury, it fits into your big hair theory about players' abilities and, and, and performances. Oh yeah, a new haircut and a fresh trim can do unstated wonders. Has he actually had a trim? I think it's quite the opposite with him, isn't it? No, he's, he's, got, a white, he's got a lovely bouffant. It certainly has. <laughs> It's interesting that Jonathan was talking about the philosophy battle at Leicester because it's very mm. rare for a club's fans to want to hark back to a more direct style of football. It's normally a, a, the other way around. So, yeah. But it, yeah. Your shirt is uh, a picture of two, a bear and a dinosaur riding on the back of a narwhal. Mm. Interspecies love. Okay, that's cool. Nice. <clears throat> In other news, Man United, Carl. I know you've got Solskjaer. But are you about to bum-rush the top four? That's the question. You were 13 points off the Champions League positions. Now you're just eight. I know. It, it, it truly was the best Christmas present I've had this year, just having Mourinho fired. Uh, the tactical changes are pretty simple. The Man United's fullbacks are going past the halfway line. Um, Lingard and Martial, or the other wide player, are stepping inside a bit, which occupies the other team's defensive midfielders. And Rashford up top allows a quicker, more fluid system. Pogba fighting as runners. So now Pogba's doing those lovely 35, 40 yard passes and he seems happy. Um, In what way is this similar to when Giggs took over and they beat Sunderland 4 0 and everyone went, wow, the shackles are off? It's more similar to when Gus Hiddink took over at Chelsea after Mourinho and then Chelsea went 15 games unbeaten. United oh. won't go 15 games unbeaten. They will lose. They will most likely lose against Tottenham Hotspur. But they are going to have a nice run of, hey, look, here is uh, Mason Greenwood. Here is Angel Gomez. Here is another youth player. Oh, it's quite fun. Oh, we've lost 2-0 against Watford. But Mourinho's gone. Yeah. It doesn't matter. Okay. Hooray. So do you think they can catch the teams, you know, in the top four? No. no. You've got Bournemouth but, this weekend. And, and, and I know it doesn't mean anything, but Bournemouth have lost their last four games on the road and conceded 16 goals in December. Ooh, Lukaku, if he's back, he scored six in his last three against Bournemouth. I don't think Lukaku's going to... Ever be back? Not ever be back. I don't think Lukaku's current first choice for the way Solskjaer wants to play. I, I see. Right now it relies on a lot of one-touch triangle football, which is re- more reliant on Rashford and Lingard's partnership from their England international duty than it is on what used to be a decent partnership between Paul Pogba and Romelu Lukaku. What about Alexis Sanchez? He's funny, isn't it? The, the, what, uh, Mourinho is sacked on Tuesday and then he flies back from Chile on the Thursday, more or less. Uh, his Instagram story very recently was him back in Carrington going back at it. And if you listen to the song playing in the back, it's a song from the Gladiator soundtrack called Now We Are Free. Damn. There might be a hidden message. <laughs> Wow. Uh, so what was he doing in Chile anyway? He was recovering from a hamstring injury. Um, but this be... new information sheds doubt on all that. I mean, you can verify a hamstring injury. It's not quite a back injury. Okay. 
All right, then. Uh, ooh, here's a question from Ollie J. It says, for Carl, do you really think Pochettino would leave Spurs for United, which has been a manager graveyard since 2013? To me, United fans seem utterly deluded about their status. Massive debt that's going nowhere, disinterested owners, a management structure from the 90s. The very interesting thing about what's going on with Manchester United uh, Pochettino is essentially United have put Daniel Levy in check. So Pochettino is doing all these fantastic things, as Mr. Hogstein has uh, explained. But come the summer, Pochettino signed a new contract that will take him to 2023. But in the summer, he's going to go, right, I've got you in the top three again. I've had with no new stadium and no new signings. I'm on 8.5 million a year. I can double my wage by going to Manchester United and take a couple of players with me and whatever system I want. What are you going to give me? And Levy's got a choice of either, oh God, I have to back this man, even though I've got this new stadium to pay for, mm. or I have to risk losing him. Is that a fair reading, do you think, Raf? I think so. I think so. It's um, it's also a situation where United will say whatever it costs, even if it's £40 million pounds or £42 million, pounds, is actually not that much if you consider that this guy is going to get much more out of the squad, improve players, make players more valuable, and if his Spurs results are anything to go by, help us get straight back into the top four with no question. I mean, United will probably negotiate with um, prospective managers from a position of weakness when it comes to their position in the table. At the same time, it makes it fairly easy for the new manager to expect improvement because you know this is, this is an underachieving Man United. Whatever happens now for the second half of the season, they shouldn't really have been in this position to begin with. And a new manager, I think, will feel that this is a club that can be sort of righted, that can be sorted out with all the money that is there. And it will still be a hugely attractive proposition. I don't know if you saw this today, but there was an interesting article in The Times, James, that uh, Allegri apparently has made it uh, uh, known or let people know that he would be very much interested in United come the job uh, next summer and that United are sort of just trying to talk to as many people as possible, knowing that Pochettino's extrication might might not be that straightforward. Recent links to Paul Mitchell, uh, former technical director at Tottenham Hotspur and Southampton, so has worked with Pochettino before, has made it very clear that Pochettino is the number one candidate. But the thing about Manchester United is it doesn't matter how much money Manchester United have to spend to get their man because Manchester they, United have... Like made the money? Yes. Okay. It does matter because even their money isn't in infinite and they've been spending a lot of money over the last few years without making any progress. Mm. But if they get the right man, the Mac man will get them the money they need to, so it doesn't matter. Just on the money side of things, if Pochettino stays at Spurs, yes. he's going to need to buy some new defenders. Um, and he's going to, if he goes to United, their squad is pretty good, but he's going to need to buy new defenders. Now, which, at which club is he going to have more money and a, a director of football or someone with the purse strings more likely to, to back him? Um, I see. I see. Sorry about all this, Spurs fans. You shouldn't. But someone doubling your wages and giving you carte blanche to do whatever you want in your do new you job, that is tempting. Is, is there any part of you that thinks that, I don't know, with that lovely little interview he gave after the, the, the 6-2 win against Everton, that he is a little bit a romantic and, and would like to take this Spurs story further? I think it's, it's, it's definitely possible. I don't think he's been one of those managers who's just been waiting for the opportunity to move. He could have done that in the summer. 
I think he could have gone gone to Real Madrid already, but he felt that the Spurs story wasn't quite over or he'd made maybe a promise to Danny Levy that he was going to be there when he moved into the new stadium. Now, Danny Levy, what he could do is just extend that stadium forever and maybe then <laughs> he sticks around. I don't know. But I think, you know, similarities with Diego Simeone and well, maybe now people are saying, you know, he's come to the end of his time and maybe he needs to move on. But... I think in the meantime, he's built something that's very, very special. And it's feasible, I think. You'd have to ask maybe Guillaume or somebody who's a little bit closer to Pochettino. It'd be feasible that Pochettino sees himself in the same vein as sort of a builder of clubs and someone who really wants to have that legacy when he leaves, which isn't mm. quite there yet, but could, could happen in the next couple of years. And then he'll still be very much in demand. Yeah, I mean, on a somewhat smaller scale, it's reminiscent of when Marty O'Neill was at Wickham. He could have, he got Wickham into the league. He could have gone, <laughs> like, go with us. He, uh, he could have gone to Nottingham Forest, who just got relegated from the Premier League and Brian Clough had retired, but he, he stayed on because he felt there was a, a story to complete and a project. So you do occasionally get managers that, that buy into that. We've talked a lot about money, but I think it is actually worth making a point again. And Carl, you touched upon this. Pochettino relative to what he does and what he adds to the table and what he and in terms of the points but also in terms of the bottom line and financial income is underpaid and i think be one of the smartest things to to do this could well be where this is all heading is for Danny Levy to say you know what we really want you to stay so much we will not just double but trouble your way just because Oof. what is another eight million pounds for a club that will now turn over 400 million next year because of what Poch has done rather than 300 million, is, it is almost negligible. And he is the most valuable person in the club and for the team. And maybe the story isn't quite over yet. Okay. That top four race anyway that, that Man United are trying to get back into, they're currently, what, six points behind Arsenal in fifth. That could easily be three after this weekend when they host Bournemouth and Arsenal visit Anfield. And then they're really not far off uh, Chelsea in fourth place. Uh, Chelsea, meanwhile, this weekend will be facing Palace at Selhurst Park where they lost last season. They've been looking a little bit ropey on the road this season, Chelsea. Uh, Any thoughts on this game before we move on to other things? Sorry mentioned how his players are suffering from mental confusion. Yes. uh, Which... I, I quite enjoyed um, his Napoli side very often burnt out towards the end of the season as he's not particularly a fan of rotation uh, and they seem to lack the plan B that previous Chelsea sides have lacked so on the lesser Chelsea sides there was always this sort of let's just revert to the to like the Mourinho direct method mm. that Lampard and Czech and whatnot used to do and, and you saw parts of that in the City game where they were getting done on the press and went hang on let's pull the handbrake and go back to the old method they don't seem to be able to do that as much on the road and they'll have to spend some money Palace they've got Andros Townsend store brand Iron Robin you never know 7 points from the 9 available over Christmas is also what they've got Uncle Roy it was the first ever match Premier League match on Boxing Day between two managers in their 70s and as befits some 70 year olds in uh, on Christmas Day they had a bit of a snooze. In fact, all five of the matches Roy Hodgson has managed on on Boxing Day have ended yes. nil-nil. Is that right? Yeah. That's extraordinary. And yet, Rafa, you say that kind of thing means nothing. Had we previewed that game saying all his matches have ended nil-nil on Boxing Day, you'd have said that means nothing. And lo and behold, it would have been nil-nil again. Now do you understand the power of numbers? It still means nothing. <laughs> <laughs> but I think okay. Chelsea are... I don't think we should necessarily talk of Chelsea in terms of weakness I think it was always going to be 
a difficult transition to go from one way of playing football to completely another way with not necessarily the amount of so deep investment that you might have needed to make that transition more more quickly. I think there's Jorginho and then you're kind of struggling to see who the Sari players in this team are. I mean, a lot of players, I think, are adjusting quite well to that way of playing, but it is still sort of necessarily a halfway house and they will have up and downs and they're still in a position where I think you'd asked you know, the club and you'd asked Sari before the start of the season, you know, you're fourth halfway through they would have said exactly that's sort of exactly where we where we can be and where we want to be. I don't think they can really aim much higher, mm-hmm. um, and the the margins for error are going to be quite low. You know, it could be three points one way or the other between them having a successful season, finishing top four, and having a in inverted commas disappointing season, finishing in sixth or fifth. I see, very measured, uh, very good. All right, well, <clears throat> let's let's take a little break and then uh, let's broaden out our discussion still further. You're listening to the Totally Football Show, sponsors of Melchester Rovers. Find out more at RoyTheRoversOfficial.com. I'm looking at the clock, everybody, and it says Germany. Germany o'clock. Rafa, let's get a Bundesliga update. Uh, this weekend, they're going to be off on the beach. Yes, they're all at the beach. Um, and, of course, Dortmund are top of the table with those six points, but it could have easily been nine. They lost away to Dusseldorf, which really was a big disappointment because Dusseldorf are one of the worst teams uh, in the league. They've recently made some progress and are now outside the relegation places, but you'd expect a Dortmund with their uh, invincibility up until that point. They hadn't been beaten domestically to get an easy three points, and as it is, it's only six points. It is still quite a lot, but as you as you alluded to, Bayern have come back fairly strongly. They've won the last five games on the trot and I think now it's seen as, seen as a much more open uh, race as far as the second half of the season is concerned than maybe a couple of weeks ago where it almost looked as, as if it was a foregone conclusion right. that Dortmund would run away with it. Well, Mark saying, wondering if the inevitable will happen, Bayern winning the Bundesliga again. I don't think it's inevitable because Bayern have never done it, apparently. Um, what, come from behind like this? Six points at uh, Christmas. Um, and, you know, Dortmund have only lost one game and they haven't looked like losing many games either yes you could say they got a little bit lucky one or two results where they won late on the sort of win that you, the sort of game that you perhaps have to win when you want to win the championship when you look back at it later on you think oh okay Lukas Piszczek you know the right back scores a wonder goal five minutes before the end of the game to, to win to win us the three points these are the sort of results that you need need to get really but no they look they look solid they look happy uh, they still have a lot of quality inside the squad that hasn't even been utilised. It's a very, very deep team. And I think Bayern, you know, they look improved. I think he's made one or two changes. Niko Kovac has had made the team happier on and off the pitch. But I don't think necessarily that Dortmund will show the weakness that Bayern need. Uh, Bayern playing well again, well by themselves is not going to be quite enough. And I don't see Dortmund um, throwing this away. I see France, PSG are top by about a billion miles. Monaco, who've been looking better, then went and lost at home to the bottom side gang on 2 0. Yikes. But that's not the biggest story. Oh, what's the biggest story? The story is that um, Prince Albert is going to come back in oh. and take over the club and wrest control from Rubelovlev. Wow, Have that is this? big news. Yeah, with apparently Jurgen Klinsmann in tow. As a sporting director. Well, well, This well. is all unconfirmed, but these were the rumours going How around just affect, before Christmas. How uh, Cherry's position? I, I don't know. I, I don't know is the answer, James. Mm. By the way, 
because I like this kind of thing. That 2 0 win for Gangon featured a goal from Marcus Turam, who uh, is a centre forward. Son of Lillian. Son of Lillian. And his brother, uh, Kefren, uh, plays for Monaco. But he didn't feature in this game. But we've seen him in the Champions League when Thierry Henry was kind of going 2 or 3 0 down and throwing on teenagers. Oh, Willy will, nilly. Will Prince Albert ring in the changes? Ha! <laughs> Very nice. Very nice. Piercing uh, analysis there from Rafa. That's France in Scotland. There's fucking good goals. Pitodri, uh, what was it? 4 3. Celtic beating Aberdeen. Scott Sinclair hat trick. Four goals in the last seven minutes. Madness. Celtic now three points ahead of Stevie G's Rangers. Uh, they drew 1 1 with Hibs on Boxing Day. What they got next? Oh my. It's the old firm game. That's Saturday lunchtime at Ibrox. Wow. We'll hear a bit more about stuff elsewhere uh, very shortly with a really dramatic Boxing Day in Italy. Let's just wrap up the rest of the Premier League, though. A Duncan. A Brighton taking on Everton Saturday. Who's going to get the four-goal winning margin this time? Yeah, Everton are waning and waxing between strange scorelines. They're, in fact, the first team to ever lose a home game by four goals and then subsequently win an away game by four goals or more in Premier League history. The last team to do it were Manchester United back at Christmas 1977. That's great. When yeah. they lost at home to Forest and right. then won away at Everton 6-2, which was obviously the, the scoreline Everton lost to Spurs. I don't know what's going on, but something is going on. Something's clearly going on. What will be going on, though, when Brighton host Everton? That's the question, which we'll answer on Monday once it's happened. <laughs> um, relegation battle. Palace are now seven points clear. Two of the three teams that were in the bottom three are showing definite signs of life. Saints and Fulham, I would argue, who've now locked the door in Ranieri parlance. Uh, they face Huddersfield on Saturday. That's the big one. That is the big one, isn't it? Not necessarily an enjoyable watch, but a significant sure. game. You think it could I be fun? I think Fulham are... Have been enjoyable. Um, whenever I've seen them, You're right, they're that quite. Was, that was probably prior to Ranieri, was it? It, it was. Yeah. Uh, when I seen them last in the flesh, that was prior to I Ranieri. I mean, Huddersfield, game. Huddersfield are, are an energetic side. They they try to make things happen. They don't play a lot of aesthetically pleasing football, but that's not their game. But I think I would say the combination of two, those two sides could produce something quite interesting. If you were to kind of fashion some kind of hybrid beast out of Fulham and Huddersfield. I wouldn't personally. <laughs> right. But it would be I'm sure it'd be yeah. an interesting kind of Huddersfield town. I call them. Okay. Huddersfield desperately lack a need a striker and Fulham desperately need some sort of coherent defensive system. So it, it would be no, the, 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 uh, Ranieri's locked up at the, at the Well, that that 1-1 draw against Wolves was okay. silly. Um it'll be interesting what both these teams do in the January transfer window. I expect Huddersfield to ring up Liverpool and ask if they could borrow Dominic Solanke because they need goals. Okay. What will Liverpool say? Hello, Huddersfield. Yeah, <laughs> probably. <laughs> okay. Brilliant. Do you want Daniel Sturridge while you're at it? I think I keep Sturridge. Yeah, yeah. I keep Sturridge. Yeah. Okay. Anyway, that's that exciting game. Uh, Saints, as we mentioned, are hosting Man really City. need to win. Yes, yeah, Huddersfield have lost point all six enough. games in December. To, th- to lose seven games in a month is not a good look. You can say they've been a little bit unlucky with some of the results, but still, they need goals. They, they need they need points. Uh, five nil for those who care about such things. Last time they met at Craven Cottage it was a couple of years ago in the Championship, of course, to Fulham. 
5-0 for those who care about such things. The last time these two teams met, uh, that was two years ago in the Championship, uh, a 5-0 win for Fulham. Uh, ooh, Saints mentioned the fact that they are hosting Man City. Newcastle, or only five points above the drop, are at Watford. Uh, they've only won one win in five, and they've got a really tough start to the year coming up, Newcastle. Could do with a boost up there. Still no word on that supposed takeover, is there? Nope. Anytime soon. Anytime. All right. Not 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 saying it to increase interest in the January transfer window. No, sorry. Okay. Uh, what about Burnley, who are in the bottom three now, three points from safety, hosting West Ham Sunday at one o'clock? The extraordinary Felipe Anderson, who cannot stop scoring braces. It's fantastic. Uh, he leads West Ham in both goals and tackles which shows how what what wow. how much he is as a, a versatile two-way threat i don't know if you you saw much of him at, in italy but no way was that in any way forecastable west ham buying a brazilian player from Serie A has flop written all over it hmm. i we are all astounded uh to how good felipe anderson is is that is that Pellegrini, if we're having bigged up Pochettino and his impact on players, is that all Pellegrini? I think doing? we can definitely see how much impact he's having. I mean, you know, he's one of the few managers to ever win a Premier League, so he's um, he's good. And I think, you, you know, you can look at Everton, you look at West Ham, you know, teams that have, are shaking off their Allardyce shackles and, and playing expansively. And, you know, I watched the Southampton-West Ham game and, you know, West Ham looked really, really good on the break, which you haven't had to say for a West Ham team for, for some time. Mm-hmm. Rob Thomas with the eternal question, what's gone wrong at Burnley? would be interesting to hear some outside observations. Poor run stretches well into last season. Uh, yes. this, this came up on Match of the Day and the answer was they need to sort their defending out. <laughs> um, Can it, you better that? It's, it's the fact, as Ralph, you um, ex- mentioned earlier, Burnley have this unorthodox offensive system that relies on blocking a lot of shots. Okay. So um, last season when they went on that fantastic run, Rather than defend, mark the attackers when a cross would come in, they'd very often have a man behind the goalkeeper. So when the shot came to the likely areas, the corners, they'd just stand in the way of it. Um, Which This is how they confounded XG and whatnot. And this year, it's not happening, partly because you can't consistently know where the ball is going to go as you stand in the way. Um, And also, Joe Hart doesn't quite have the same chemistry that Tom Heaton and... Pope. Nick Pope had yeah. with his back four and this system this very unorthodox way of I need you to stand here very very quickly before the shot comes in does rely on so, a lot of communication they're like human training cones are they or something or pretty much almost I mean like England in the 16th century if you remove the Pope chaos can uh, can ensue and I think it's true you know Burnley conceded the second most shots in the Premier League last season yet finished seventh they've already conceded two more goals this season than they did in the whole of last season that's amazing so something so it's, it both hasn't changed and something has very much changed. All right, what? We're still not sure. But more when we know more. On Monday, for example, after they played West Ham. I think they're going to lose that one. I think I think this might be it for Burnley. The, the, way, the way they play their football and, and, and the way it's situated, it's very hard to, to get in. Sean Knight doesn't particularly buy continental players and English players are quite expensive. So it's very hard for him to upgrade his squad in the way he wants. And... The only way is down after that. They stagnate at the start of this season and now you've seen a downward turn. It's quite sad to watch because when it does work for Burnley, it's quite nice. It was a charming story. Hmm. Uh, Okay.
take a little break and then we're back with Robin Carlson's interesting question who's the best diver in the Premier League and the uh, hot news from Italy Okay then, who's the best diver in the Premier League? This is occasioned by that video of uh, Lichtsteiner flopping all over the place. The best diver in the Premier League is Jamie Vardy because you don't know he's diving. Okay. Um, Leicester City are very, very good at diving because they do it in a very particular way. So what Vardy often does, um, and the best way to dive is is to basically give the other person the option. So you run side on with your defender and then get an inch ahead and then you want to crash your hips into the defender so more or less they run over your trailing leg and then you fall over it's a skill diving is a skill and the best ones are the people who practice and one of the best divers I've seen in Premier League history is Jamie Vardy are you suggesting he specifically trains in that I yeah I think Jamie Vardy's route up the football pyramid right means he he knows about the dark arts of football right, far okay. more so than any player who's been in the academy since the age of nine so every now and again you can see him run against a centre-back who's been doing centre-back stuff from the age of nine and go having this bang although I think I, I agree with you on Vardy he's very good at that but I think we have to distinguish between the point where he puts himself in the position where he knows the defender's coming and basically just engineers a foul mm-hmm. but it is still can be still seen as a foul because mm. the defender runs in clatters into him or the other Jamie Vardy thing that he does so well where he kick actually kicks yes the back of the defender and makes it look as the defender tripped him up in the process and that is just a out and out dive whereas the first one I would say is just a, a striker putting himself in the right position knowing are, that the defender can't really touch him there are point. hip tosses which is what Hazard is good at and other wingers are good at and there is Vardy's hip, hip, hip toss is nice a, a hip toss or hip check which hip check is my favourite thing in ice hockey that was, yes. that was Arsene's keeper before he wore the hat wasn't it? <laughs> <laughs> very nice Duncan. and there is Vardy's is that all you're going to contribute to this no I was going to say I also agree with Vardy and what Vardy's good he's, he's kind of extended it over seasons you do get seasons where certain players kind of hit on a formula so Andy Johnson in 0405 basically had a way of winning penalties and it looked like the referees that summer the following summer sat down and went right we're not giving 13 penalties against Andy Johnson again um, did he draw 13 penalties that year? I think he won 13 penalties good yeah. lord and so what did he do after that did he come up with a well he just didn't win as many penalties oh so, I see yeah, yeah. He was negated. And Vardy's strength is he's found different ways to do it. Another player who's particularly good at, I don't want to say diving, but drawing fouls in that way, David Silva. David Silva is very much not that kind of player, uh, to the point that you rest on to it. Um, sorry, I'm revealing all the magician's secrets here, so I better shut up before someone okay. bundles me into a van. Let's talk about Italy. A mixed midweek, I think it's fair to say. They had their first ever... Boxing Day round of football of Santo Stefano, Giorno di Santo Stefano, um, in 47 years. And uh, there was lots of positive things to talk about, but the evening game was not one of them, which is a shame because it was uh, third against second, Inter hosting Napoli at San Siro, massive crowd. Before the game kicked off, uh, three groups of fans had kind of formed an unholy alliance to, to tackle the visiting Napoli supporters. Uh, there were ultras from Inter, from Varese, which is a sort of area just to the north of uh, of Milan, and, and from Nice as well, bizarrely. Uh, anyway, so they they um, they basically ambushed these minibuses with the with the uh, Napoli fans. I don't know if you've seen the footage at all, but uh, it's extraordinary that only four people were wounded. Of course, one person 
died, but he was he stepped into the the other side of the road where traffic was trying to get out of the area and got hit by a um, an SUV. Oh and, my and, goodness! Yeah, so the, but he was one of the the guys doing the ambush. Um, then the game kicked off, and there were further problems because three times they had to appeal to the Inter fans or the Curvonor to to stop doing the the monkey chance against Kulabali, the Napoli defender. Uh, they threatened the game with being interrupted. They didn't do anything. It, it just proceeded, and it probably wasn't unconnected, the fact that uh, Koulibaly got uh, a red card, a, a second yellow for uh, sarcastically applauding the referee late on, and, and you know, certainly Carlo Ancelotti uh, speaking very strongly about this uh, afterwards and saying, listen, the next time this happens, we'll walk off the pitch and we don't care if we lose the game, but these matches have to be stopped. And they, they absolutely can. I mean, the rules are quite clear on this. And I don't, in the, you may remember uh, Piluigi Colina actually suspending a game um, because there was a banner insulting the man who was the head of the Referees Association. So for that, they'll stop a game. But for this stuff, not so much. Kevin anyway, Boateng taking the ball away and yeah. uh, threatening to walk off the pitch during a, I want to say, winter break friendly. Yeah, it was a for- friendly. That was uh, again. It was. It wasn't Varese. It might actually have been Varese, bizarrely, where this guy was from. So um, it was a warm, warm weather winter break in Italy. So it wasn't a league game. <laughs> and it, 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 but yeah, good. No, it wasn't warm weather. It was. It was. Uh, yeah, you're being sarcastic. Sorry. Yeah. <laughs> yes. No, it was just down the road. But um, yeah. The good news, the the only good news from this is that the uh, the league have have acted very very quickly. They've already banned into from having supporters at the at San Siro for the next two home games. There'll be no travelling into sport for their match this weekend away at Empoli, and the Curva Nord, where the chance seemed to have come from, uh, will be closed for a further game, and uh, yeah, hopefully that'll have some impact, or they will actually take. You know this threat of uh, suspending matches seriously and, and go through with it. Mm. I think there has been a lot of racial incidents in football in the last month, not just in England, yeah. but in 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 Italy and to a lesser degree the other top leagues. And Koulibaly was well in within his rights to to sarcastically clap the referee for what's going on. And I hope Carlo Ancelotti does next time. Just go, no, nope, we're going. It would have been great if Inter walked off the field. To be honest, would have been great. Um, yeah. Still, it must. It must be possible to identify these guys. Not at San Siro, no. no. Why? Because the level of uh, okay, the the level of video surveillance, as far as I know, is is pretty minimal there. A lot of them will be wearing scarves and stuff. Uh, it, it's just not the kind of policeable stadium the same way that say the Premier League are. I mean, I, I'm sure I mentioned this before, talking to a policeman in in Italy. This was about the Stadio Olimpico, where he, he just explained, listen. What they do when they get into the curva, we effectively have no control over. Because even if we were to go in there, the the access points are so limited that we would be massively outnumbered and we would create far bigger problems by touching, you know, setting foot on their territory than we would be resolving. And, you know, a lot of these people, for example, the people out who were caught up in the, the violence outside all had what they called daspos, these bat stadium bands, but none of it seems to actually matter particularly this is also a function of the stadium oh the stadium's the biggest problem in italian football yeah and it always has been and uh, it's it's astonishing how slow it is to get you know juve have made such a leap forward with the uh, allianz stadium and other clubs want to do the same thing roma for three years now been saying we're about to you know that you keep seeing these publicity shots Mm. where palotta's digging the first sod (laughs) from the and they still haven't inter want to build their own stadium well now yeah again they're talking about building a new stadium away from San Siro. But, but, uh, but, but a game so without 
a game without spectators. Yeah. I mean, now that Inter have been punished, that must cost something like I don't know. Well, they're million, getting big clouds, like four million euros. Well, they're getting sixty-five thousand uh, pretty much every game at the moment. I mean, I'm just picking a number out of thin air, but it must be in the low millions. Yeah, it's a big hit. Surely there is an incentive for the club to say, you know, we don't want this happening again. Let's invest. Absolutely. One of the I think one of the issues here is the fact that um, the the notion that the ultra groups are something to be policed is is not widely accepted in Italy. Uh, a lot of the kind of whole footballing kind of folklore is that they they deserve a role in football as much as say the owners do, as much as the forces of authority do. It's some people see them as in in a sense conserving the flame of the real spirit of fans, you know, defending the interests of fans as big business tries to come in and homogenize the whole sport. But it's long been the case that clubs have been quite actively in bed with uh, the Capi Ultra, the, the people who run these groups. And the astonishing case going on at the moment in Turin, where uh, one of these guys who Juve had actually allocated a portion of ticket sales to, then jumped or was pushed off a bridge. And there's this massive uh, story going on involving phone taps of his phone because he was tied up with organised crime, uh, with the Indrangheta. And it's just extraordinary. As you pull up that thread... But all, all, I mean, this isn't just a Juve thing. All clubs have long been tacitly allowing and even al- not not just uh, allowing them to continue, but also um, inviting them to participate in the business of selling tickets, of doing merchandise, all sorts of stuff. It's crazy. Uh, it's, um, yeah, a big problem. But it, all of this is, all of this, of course, is a tragedy. A man died. There are all the other social issues. But also, it was going to be such a celebration. Boxing Day had big crowds. Saw two of the greatest goals you're going to see anywhere this season, I would argue. I mean, I know Andros Townsend was amazing. But Qualirella scoring for his eighth game in succession. Did you did you see Qualirella's fault? I did see that one. I was thinking more of the own goal in the Ask League. <laughs> Let's hear about that one. Basically, a keeper, as modern keepers try and do, was trying to you know play it out from the back. Forward was closing in. He kind of turned round, and it looked like you know when you used to play sensible soccer, and you'd kind of knock the uh, the controller, and basically it just went straight into the net. It was it genuinely one of the best end goals I've ever seen. Why? Well, look at uh, Ascoli. Yeah, I, I hadn't seen that. Serie B raised eyebrow on goal. If you know what I mean, Carl, I have no idea what you're talking <laughs> about. Uh, let me tell you instead about Qualiarella's goal. As we know, he's just you talk about magicians before, but there's something incredible about that guy so he's what 35 the ball comes in from I'm going to say 35 yards out he is standing just outside the box he basically runs up to it and back heels it in volleyed so he doesn't even face it he runs up to it and back heels it in extraordinary it's quite special special and the other goal is the uh, Nicolo Zaniolo who a lot of people are getting very excited about. You've seen this, yeah? Yes. So he was the guy that basically Inter had to let Roma have in the summer in return for Nangolan moving up north. Uh, and he, a lot of people have been waiting to see what all the fuss was about. Uh, he, he, he he'd impressed, but, you know, he's, he's a raw talent. On this occasion, though, they're playing against Sassuolo. He chops back onto it. He's got the defender and the goalkeeper in front of him at an acute angle. So he chops back onto his left... Faints with his left, 
waits for the goalkeeper and the defender both to sit down and then just stands there looking at them for a second and then just chips it over their heads. It was beautiful. It's That's his first goal, goal as well. It, it's truly one of the, the better goals I've seen. Excellent. All right. Uh, of course, there'll be action uh, from uh, City A this weekend. No to break in Serie A this season. It, then it after this. Oh, I see. After this, and we got two managers on the brink. Pippo Inzaghi, I'm afraid, after he lost to his brother Simone Inzaghi in the Inzaghi derby uh, on Boxing Day, and uh, Bologna are away at Napoli. The prospect's not good there. And and Gattuso, who's uh, Milan side, haven't scored in a month, and they're at home to Spal. Usual names circulating. Uh, to possibly replace Gattuso at the Rossoneri, Guido Lin, Donadoni, Arsene Wenger, you know, the usual suspects. Anyway, it'll be interesting to see how all, all that turns out. Uh, Juve, of course, are nine points clear now at the top of the table after Ronaldo came off the bench to rescue a point for them away to Atalanta. Do you know, it was the first time he'd sat on a bench for a league game in five years. He's, the miles are accumulating. I think we'll see a lot more of it in future. Yeah, he, he didn't seem at all happy about it. Um, <laughs> Yeah. People will be Fiori Gioco soon. You think so? Huh? Yeah. <laughs> nice. So, uh, very good. All right. Well, after all of that, let's get some odds on some of the weekend's action and more. Producer Ben has been speaking to Paddy Power. Thank you, Jimbo. Hello, listeners. Me again. And Lee Price is on the line from Paddy Power. Woohoo. Now, Lee, we've got an awful lot to catch up on. First of all, Liverpool's title odds and whether they and Arsenal can be involved in a four goal thriller with a red card in there, too. Yeah, we took the first man seat defeat to be a bit of a blip, but there's no ignoring the second. Liverpool are finally now the favourites with the league, and their odds on to do so, in fact, are 8 to 11. As for the Arsenal game, our trades agree with you, Ben, that it'll be a goal fest. The odds are just 5-4 to four that the game has four or more goals. Throwing a red card there too, looking around odds of 7-1. to one. City, as we've been discussing, are on a miserable run of form. Will they lose to Southampton this weekend? Yeah, Southampton improved recently, so I can see where you're coming from. Um, but I'm pretty sure City will take positives from the way that West Ham carved the Saints' back line open. We offer odds of 17-2 to two that the home side win. Just two weeks ago, they would have something like 17-1 to one before Pep's festive meltdown. But City do remain the favourites here, of course, at 3-10. to 10. And finally, it's the big one between Fulham and Huddersfield. Give us the odds, please, on Huddersfield and indeed Burnley getting relegated, but Fulham surviving. Yeah, Fulham have proved very popular recently, actually, uh, if not of their own fans. They're now just 6-4 to four to stay up, although they do remain odds-on to go down and third favourites to do so. The only two teams above them in that betting, of course, are Huddersfield and Burnley. The Terriers are 2-9 to nine to get relegated and Burnley are 1-3 to three to go down. You can find out these odds and more at paddypower.com. All prices are accurate at the time of recording. It's 18 plus only, begambleaware.org. And when the fun stops, stop. And so this podcast must do as well. Although, Carl, can I just ask, have you got um, a show about computer games that you'd like to tell us about? Yes, I'm on I'm on BBC iPlayer this oh. month. Um, so the BBC gaming show, uh, produced by Radio 1, has done their big end-of-year right. consensus about the best computer games. Um, so I'm in there talking about my favourite mobile game, my favourite game on the Nintendo Switch, the games of the year, along with some other well, hang video on. game experts. Back up, back up. So what's your favourite mobile app? Game. Uh, I recommend everyone listening to play Florence, which is an adventure game um, which more or less takes puts you in the shoes of a young 20-year-old woman who's about to fall in love, and it's up to you to decide what happens next. I like it. Um, I recommend God... Does it get red hot? That's the question. It... 
is incredibly moving. It's it's about thirty five yes. minutes. It's about thirty five minutes long, um, and I've played it four or five times. Such as it's involving storyline right okay okay what about on your switch uh on the switch mario tennis which took traditional tennis and turned it into a fighting game um i've always thought good tennis is often like a good boxing game and mario tennis has proven that um and my game of the year is god of war which which is fantastic norse mythology and a moving story about bad dads trying to not pass on their sins to their sons oh i like that I like a dad narrative. Um, great. All right. That's that's fantastic. Uh, Duncan, you got any more Panto lined up? No Panto. Maybe a game of the disappointing board game Wembley, which I played on Christmas Day. Oh, what does that involve? It's like a reboot of a, a early 80s board game. You have to get a team to the FA Cup final. But it's essentially like a really dull version of Monopoly. And Monopoly is already Pretty bad. dull. Yeah. yeah. Where's your preferred property spaces when you play Monopoly? Um... The, the yellows, I think. God, that's oh. a dull question. Yeah, oh, it's a dull game. No, but statistically, <laughs> the orange ones are best. Yes, which are the ones I like to build on. Good. Uh, how like you to know that, Rafa? <laughs> what have you got lined up, Rafa? Over the next few days. Yes. Um, not that much, really. Okay. Um, watching a bit of football. Exactly. Sleeping. We'll all be doing plenty of both, hopefully, and then we'll be back here on Monday to discuss all of the exciting weekend action and finish off 2018. Uh, with a little toast to the outstanding performance perhaps of the last 12 months it could be toast actually I meant with a drink but no toast would be fine producer Ben excellent thank you so much for being with us today Rafa Carl Duncan and you listener do have yourselves a lovely weekend we'll see you Monday you've been listening to the Totally Football Show a Muddy Knees Media production for sales and advertising email sales at muddykneesmedia.com and don't forget to check out our other football podcasts on Spotify Apple Podcasts and everywhere else you get your audio on demand supporting your team can be a beautiful thing but then come the injuries the goal droughts and the downright disastrous defeats That's a little bit like life, really. And here at the Totally Football Show, we believe we should all support each other the way we support our team, through the good days and the bad. And that's why we're continuing to work with Calm, the campaign against living miserably, a charity dedicated to preventing male suicide. On average, 12 men take their own life every day in the UK. So that's your starting 11 and your manager every single day. And part of the problem is that many of us still feel uncomfortable talking about mental health and suicide, and this can often stop men from opening up and getting support when they need it the most. So if you're worried that someone close to you is having a tough time, check in with them and let them know that Calm is there. Every day from 5pm till midnight, Calm provide a free, confidential and anonymous helpline and web chat for any man who needs support. Visit thecalmzone.net to find out more about Calm.